Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we got a recap of USC's 31-16 loss over the weekend at the hands of the Arizona State. Sun Devils, I was there with, a, with most of the USCfootball.com crew. We're going to talk about that, what we saw with the coach, Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Coach was tweeting after each quarter during the game, what his thoughts were. So we're going to get his thoughts uh, on what he saw out there with the Trojans losing yet another game, falling to four and five on the season. And uh, yeah, not looking great for bowl eligibility. Going to have to turn things around here in the last few games. If you have any questions or comments for us, please drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. Leave us a Text message, we got a text today. We got a bunch of voicemails. Some of them are like two minutes long, so we're not going to be able to play them, but I can give you quick recaps on those. But please try to keep those voicemails concise so we can play them on the air. And we also have uh, on the Apple Podcasting app, you can find the Peristyle Podcast. You can follow us there. So we'll always pop, new episodes will just pop up in your feed. It's a really easy way to digest the show. And if you leave us a five-star rating there, it helps us to grow. All right, well, let's bring in the coach. Harvey Hyde, coach, another week, another head-scratching, disappointing loss for the Trojans. Yes, it was, and uh, <clears throat> the reason why it's disappointing to me, it's not just a, a L on the side of the record as far as, you know, four and five and three and four in conference play. It's what you see on the field, and you don't see any improvement, and you just don't see, you see really a mystery. It's a mystery uh, movie is you're trying to figure out what's going on on offense and what the ending's going to be, and on defense, what's going to happen on the defensive side of the football. There's no identity either way. So it's just an uh, air raid crash, I guess I should say, and save the survivors on the defensive side. Uh, I really don't know what to say. They haven't played up to what everyone expected them to play up to, and uh, they have you know, got to a point where they have three games left in the season. And are they looking for the end of it? Do they really want to go to a bowl game and extend the misery? Do the coaches really want to go to a bowl game where they take some longer as far as finding coaching jobs and extends their time and efforts on a place that maybe they won't be at? So it's really a mystery on what's going to happen. And you're going to play a team this week in Cal who was beaten by Arizona, who almost did beat USC, but Cal was without many of their players and coaches. So how do you prepare for this? Confusion as far as in the quarterback situation. Confusion, injuries, because they were not the hammer. They were the nail. They played a team that was more physical and the inside game, the trenches. And when the game started, I really wasn't sure what team wanted to win. But as Arizona saw in the fourth quarter and the end of the third quarter that, hey, we can win this thing. Let's go and get it done. They certainly did turn it on. So basically, uh, that's a summary of what I saw and where the future is as far as with USC football. I think that's a great way to put it, Coach, as far as like the fourth quarter. I, I mean, I tweeted out during the game. This was this looked like two teams that were poorly coached, and it was a one-point game at, what, at one point. I mean, ASU turned the ball over three times to USC. Uh, they weren't really able to throw the ball all that effectively. It just seemed like both teams were struggling. But then I think that's a great way to put it. At the end, uh, ASU started running the football more and pounded it down USC's throats, a couple of long touchdown drives, and then USC goes three and out, three and out, three and out, interception. So it was one of those things where, like, ASU was sort of just hanging around. They're like, hey, we can win this game. Let's go win it. And USC just didn't seem to know what to do. I haven't heard anyone put it that way, Coach, but it sounds – I think that makes sense to me. Well, it is because that's what we saw. That's what we actually saw. And it was, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, they were coming. They've lost two games in a row, and USC has not playing their best. And 
with all the confusion on what's happening on the offensive side and the defensive side and some of the changes they're trying to make in the offense and you know no one really knows what the answer is and plays that are successful they don't run again and uh, there's just no identity on either side and as I mentioned uh, I think the number one thing people are looking for is the story now of who's going to be the next head football coach I think the players will play for pride like I said last week but it's going to be tough to get them up because they're disappointed and they're confused and they don't know which way to go and they hear one thing and then they do something else. So, you know, the quarterbacks aren't sure where they stand. The running backs, who knows what's happening there. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a big question mark. The defensive line is catching, not getting across the line of scrimmage. That's why they're getting blown off the line of scrimmage. And uh, it's just a very difficult situation to watch. It is difficult. And it's, it's tough for fans and pretty much – Everyone's just looking forward to who the next head coach is going to be. Uh, it's unfortunate that Dante Williams has had to do this for 10 games. I asked him about it, um, you know, yesterday, uh, three more games left. And he said, he's hope we have four. So he seems to be hopeful that there's going to be a bowl game. Um, but they you know, they gotta, they gotta do some work at that. I did write a column yesterday, coach about the two quarterback system. Uh, I'm not a big fan. We talked about it in our tunnel vision show last night. Again, not a big fan. Um, I don't think that USC is helping itself at all by playing two quarterbacks. It's already a fractioned team, and this seems to just add to that. I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on using two quarterbacks. Maybe some situations it works. I mean, Steve Spurrier was able to do it. He's a great offensive mind. Urban Meyer was able to do it at times. But in general, Coach, especially with an interim head coach that's a defensive guy, I just don't think USC should be playing two quarterbacks. Well, let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> it's confusing to the kids. The kids never have an opportunity to get into rhythm, and they don't know why they come out of the game or why they're in the game. They're hot, and they're doing pretty well in the game, and then they're substituted. So it becomes very confusing. They don't know who to look to. I watch them on the sideline. They just follow a coach around trying to get some type of feeling of what's going on. They have no feeling as far as, what the plan is, and it's very difficult not to have a plan and make your adjustments off the past series and go back in the game and correct that and, you know, do the things that are necessary as far as the play calling and everything else. So, no, I'm not for that at all. But when you look at it, you've got two different athletes. You've got an athlete, Slovis, who uh, has uh, been there three years, uh, has done everything to light it up and followed every one of the coach's instructions as far as what to do with the offense. He's not real mobile. But they don't help him at all as far as trying to put him in a position where he can be successful. So he's getting hit every single play. And now you've got a couple of quarterbacks that are banged up. Can you imagine if just one quarterback was going, they'd be real banged up. And then you've got the other quarterback who's more athletic, and they think he'll work a little bit better in the offense. And that's Jackson Dart. Why? Because he's got better wheels and can he's a little bit more physical and can run around a little bit. And they run for the first time. Slovis runs a keep uh, on an important down and gets first down. Jackson runs a keep and uh, scores a touchdown, but let's don't run it anymore, okay? Because it both work and they're, they're worried about, I mean, a quarterback's chances of getting hurt as far as on a keep are far less than getting stand, standing in the pocket and getting nailed from the blind side in the rib cage, okay? So, you know, I don't understand that. They ran a bootleg one time. I think Slovis was the quarterback through a nice, uh, nice, uh, bootleg down the sideline, made about 30 yards, so let's don't run it again. Let's try to protect the quarterbacks to do things that make them successful. I think it's very difficult to rotate quarterbacks, especially when they get a rhythm in there. And you've got two kids that are doing their best and trying to be successful. Plus, let's talk about the pressure it puts on each one of them. Every time they go in, they have additional pressure because if I don't do well, I'm going to come out. So you are pushing a little bit more to make plays happen. And sometimes that's not a smart thing to do. So they're competing again. It's like camp again. They're competing in the game against competition for the starting role and who's going to play the most. So, And they're not really sure what's going to happen. So you've got a head football coach who enjoys being the head football coach. Now, don't get me wrong. When I watched Dante Williams, he likes being a head football coach, okay? And that's why he wants that extra bowl game. He wants to have an extra game at being a head football coach, and I can't blame him at all at USC. 
But right now, you've got to get some organization and identity into that program and decide what's going on. But right now, basically, I don't want to say it's too late, but I think I'm confused. and The players are confused where it may be too late. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it depends what you're talking about. What is it too late to do? Is it too late to salvage the season? Yeah. I mean, could you feel pretty good about beating UCLA and, and making it to a bowl game or something? Okay. I mean, I could see that. But it's you had a lot of things that were still on the table when USC was one and one fans were fired up when Clay Helton got fired. Um, and there was a lot of optimism and, you know, winning that game at Washington state comeback fashion, Jackson dart, people are pretty pumped up and it's really dropped off coach. I mean, there was a lot of apathy um, with Clay Helton in the last few years it turned around pretty quickly, but then it just kind of went went right back down to it. And it's it's funny. It seems like it's making fans less uh, optimistic about who's going to be the next head coach, even because this isn't going so well. So you you, you feel for Dante Williams. I think he's definitely made some mistakes. Uh, if he went back, you know, a couple of months and could change some things, certainly would. But it just like USC's been doing, they've hired people that have to learn on the job. Clay Elton learned on the job, made a lot of mistakes. Um, Dante Williams. No choice. You're the interim head coach. You have to learn on the job, but he's certainly made a lot of mistakes as well. The biggest one probably for me is this two quarterback system, but it's, uh, you're right, coach. I, I don't know. It's, it's too late for what? <laughs> I guess it's the question. <laughs> well, I just think the best thing for the football program is move, moving on, not delaying it. I mean, why put everybody through the misery of going to a bowl game? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, a few years ago, if you were six and six, you had a season that was called firing that's not very good especially at usc i would think somehow somehow you could justify hey we don't need to go to a bowl game we need to give our coaches time to get to find a new job we need to get our head coach in here and get his staff organized and start recruiting and evaluate the players that are here and meet with all the players and so on i mean there's ways of justifying not going to a bowl game they did it last year okay so this year, you know, sometimes it's in the best interest of the entire football program to say, you know, I think it's better off if we just bury it and put it to bed, let the new coach come in and hire this new coach. And as I said last week, what are you waiting for? It's time to move on. Florida just uh, fired two coaches, their defensive secondary coaches. Somebody else just fired a coach this morning. I don't know who it is. I mean, it's it's happening. So you've got to be able, and USC had the first opportunity to get out there and talk to people. I don't know what the delay is, and why not go out and do the buyout that you have to do? And, of course, if a coach is coming from another program and you've had the opportunity of talking to him, that university doesn't want him around either because he's going to be gone too. So it's best for both programs, especially in recruiting. So I don't understand what the delay is. And, uh, you know, is there someone really capable at USC? This is the question. Capable in the administration to hire the type of coach that's necessary to bring the tradition back to USC that knows what it was and what it means to the university. Is there? And I think we're certainly going to find out in a hurry. I think we will, Coach. Um, I want to get to some questions on the uh, on the game. Uh, there are quick little Pac-12 notes I wanted to get your thoughts on real quick. Um, Oregon State, who uh, you know shut down USC pretty well, uh, they fired their defensive coordinator Tim Tibisar. He uh, they were one in four on the road. That only road win being against USC, but they fired their defensive coordinator. Um, Washington ended up firing their offensive coordinator, John Donovan. They were gifted uh, like nine points to start the Oregon game and really couldn't do much after that. Um, it was a questionable hire to begin with. And then Jimmy Lake, uh, just within the last half hour of us recording this, got suspended for a game without pay um, because he pushed a player on the sideline. And they did a review over the last 24 hours. So some uh, Pac-12 coaching shakeups, I guess, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, damned if you do and damned if you don't. But it's, uh, you know, it's uh, now it's big money. And, uh, uh, you know, the assistant coaches are the ones that uh, people look to, especially if you're a head football coach. How many staffs did Lou Holt fire at Notre Dame or Brian Kelly at Notre Dame? 
because it wasn't what they expected or they weren't having the success that they were having. Clay Hell never did realize, he never did realize to bring people in to USC that were no more than he does in all the areas of coaching. He can be the head coach and be the figure of the program, but he never figured that out. Now, I wonder Georgia State if he's going to realize that there or is he going to hire the same people he had with him at USC? I'm just looking to see what his hiring packages will be in philosophy down there. Because believe me, I want you to know, Georgia State, they take football serious down there, okay? They've had great teams down there. Georgia Southern, yeah. Georgia Southern, excuse me. You're right. And uh, I'll tell you, they, they, you know, so I'm interested to see that. And, you know, I'm interested to see what happens now with the coach at USC and currently the situation there because it's time to move. It's time to make directions or make the new direction on where this program is going and fire the kids up a little bit. Give them something positive because, uh, you know, there's another thing, too. Will Dante Williams really be kept on this staff? I've talked to a lot of head coaches around the country and so on, and a couple of them have told me he'd be the first guy to go. Or am I taking the job? And now you say, now, why would that happen? That's not right. Well, it's because the kids will always go to him rather than come to me. I'm the head football coach because of his association and closest with the players. And, yes, he's been a great recruiter. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that he should be gone from the staff, but I'm talking to a lot of people out there to find out what their thoughts are. And their thoughts are, yes, it's easy to be a great recruiter at Oregon. It's easy to be a great recruiter at USC. The programs sell themselves. Try to be a great recruiter at New Mexico State or Oregon State or one of these other schools. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening that you don't know what happens in discussions as far as in negotiating with an agent of one of the type of head football coaches you want at USC. But they can be real damn demanding as far as what they want because they're not going to come there just to come to USC. They're coming there to win, and they want to find out, does USC want to win or am I just going to be another duck out there? Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take. We got a bunch of questions, so we'll get more of your thoughts on this game and what's going on with the program uh, through our listener questions. So, back in a minute, and we'll uh, answer those. All right, Coach. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Um, we got uh, a couple of really long voicemails that we're not going to be able to uh, play because they're too long. So we're going to keep them quick, uh, quicker. But uh, DJ, I believe it was, from the Dominican Republic. We love the international questions. Um, he said he didn't even watch the game. No, he has an excuse. He's not even in the country. But he was really curious, Coach, what you think about why Graham Harrell doesn't seem to be able to out-scheme opposing defenses. He wants to see some of the bigger wide receivers uh, on USC's roster get used, some of the tight ends, and figure out ways that you can get those guys the ball and and out-scheme a defense. Um, I mean, obviously, USC threw a lot of jump balls to Drake London. He's no longer there. But sometimes they're throwing deep shots to, to cont- you know contested, asking the shorter receivers like the Gary Bryants or Taj Washingtons to catch contested balls down the field instead of like some of the bigger wideouts. But what what are your thoughts, Coach, on uh, Harrell and not being able to out-scheme opposing defenses? Well, you know, it's not just the size of the receivers. Let's, let's be honest with you. I said, and you know that I said it right on this show three or four years ago, whenever they hired Graham Harrell, that uh, that offense isn't going to work at USC. And you can tell the people, if the people think I'm kidding, go back and pull the tapes out and listen to them. I said, that's not USC. It shouldn't come to USC because that's not the philosophy as far as what you need to do to win at USC. That's what you do at schools where you don't have the number of athletes that USC can get, and you're hoping that you can out-scheme somebody and win by throwing the ball every single down. And that was the philosophy when they came in. Now they've tried to, you know, uh, because of the media and people complaining about the running game and so on, they're trying to implement the running game. But right now, Graham Harrell's confused. If you listen to his post-game interviews, he doesn't even know the questions he's answering or what he's saying. All we need to do is execute better. All we need to do is execute better. All we need to... Hey, it's more than that. 
It's putting your your overall philosophy and schemes of your offense to let it be successful. Let your athletes be successful. It's not only the great athletes, it's what you do with them and how you make it possible for them to be successful. And we've talked about that over and over and over. Like the little things, day one, the little things when he says our philosophy is not to go under center. Now, how can you be so strong to make that type of segment? You better think about it for a moment before you say things like that. So it goes on in their goal line package and the red zone packages and all the things they do as far as it doesn't really complement the game of football on this type of level. So it's not just putting the big receivers in this position and that receivers and so on. It's the overall offensive philosophy of what was there and what's there now, which now there is no philosophy. Absolutely none, because Coach Williams now, Dante Williams, says, I want to run the ball more, and I'm not sure if, if Graham Harrell knows how to run the ball more, because he's just running the same plays he ran before, but running them more. What anything extra to it, like he did add a bootleg, and he did add two keeps this last game that happened to score one touchdown, and the other one made a first down. So I'm not quite sure that he knows what's actually happening and what he needs to correct. I really don't understand. So to say why it hasn't happened or why they need to have different schemes, you know, last uh, two games ago is London. This game, it's Washington. It's one receiver that they find out. They don't throw the ball really much to other receivers. And you can see the intensity, too, of the receivers starting to change. You can see the excitement, drop balls, things like that. Why? They don't expect to get the football. And when you throw the football to them, they're surprised. And all of a sudden, they have to react to a football, but they're not used to catching a football as much. But they think they're going to go somewhere else with it. You've got to have your receivers all knowing they possibly there's a possibility of them catching a football yeah. on every single down. And that's always a doubt with them. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank uh, – I'm, I'm glad uh, BJ was able to call in. We also got a voicemail from Joan. Um, we love Joan again. It was like two minutes long, but she said she turned the game off in the third quarter. So two uh, callers that didn't watch the whole or part of the game. She was yelling at the TV too much. She said they're poorly coached and poorly prepared. And, but she's really worried about the kids. She's like, the kids are looking for direction and they want the adults to be able to do something about it. And she says, it's pathetic. They need to try something new. Uh, you got to try to do something different. And, Hard to argue, Coach. It seems like they do the same thing every week, and they're like, oh, we're going to fix this or try to fix this, and it doesn't get fixed. Um, are you doing anything different? Uh, it just seems like they're kind of going through the motions, and maybe that's all you can do right now with an interim head coach. But uh, what are your thoughts on Joan wanting them to try something new? Well, it's pretty late to start something new. What you can do is add things to your offense that you already have in place and defense you already have in place, which isn't hard to do. It's very simple. You can do those things to give your kids a better chance as far as being able to be successful. And, uh, you know, will they do that? I don't know. They try it occasionally, but they don't come back to it. If you watch the Arizona team play in the NFL, you know, they had basically the same type of philosophy. But why is that offense successful? Because they've got a guy, Tyler Murray, that runs around and makes it all happen, and he's another running back, so he scrambles around and he causes so much trouble. And they have the short screens and this and that. Colt McCoy played yesterday, and they have quick screens, and they do different things to balance out the, so that the defense has really a tough time. But you don't see any of that at USC. It is like a complete stiffs. There's a bunch of stiffs playing out there. I feel sorry for the quarterbacks. I really do. How would you like to stand back there and see these guys coming after you that sometimes the offensive line decides to block and sometimes they decide not to block? And uh, when they decide not to block, they have two or three tips on the line of scrimmage uh, where a tackle should be able to get the arms down of a defensive lineman that jumps up in the air by pushing in his chest and throwing him backwards, where well, I don't see that happening, to tip the ball, or being able to throw through holes in the rush, or, or you know, being able to try to survive back there. It's hard. It's hard to do your reads. They talk about reads when you're laying on your back looking at the moon. So this is why they're throwing to one guy all the time, too, but they can't get all the reads in, and they don't have any help. They don't have any type of screens. They don't run any draws. They don't have any... 
jet sweeps. They don't have any counters. Uh, they don't do much of anything. It's a very simple type of offense. And on defense, you know, people just line up and they know they're more physical now in the offensive line, especially when you have a physical offensive line, and you're just going to beat them down. You're going to beat them down. You're going to run at them, run at them, run at them, and that's all you're going to do is run at them, and you're not afraid to run at uh, Drake Jackson or anybody else. And I think Nichols is doing a good job. They just they, Because uh, that cuts down uh, Jackson's ability to rush the passer, and when they do pass, they can throw a little – Play action pass and Daniels. They didn't want to use Daniels. I don't, I don't know. They. I don't know if Daniels was like a different player at Arizona State to me. I mean, when he runs a keep, my gosh, he runs it. He's going to carry it forever. They could run that play all day against USC, but they don't. And I think they've got a different type of offensive philosophy there too. That it's only one sided, and I think they've got some problems there because that Daniels has not gotten better, and they didn't utilize him at all the other night. Basically, so White's a great running back, so they took advantage of that and they pounded the defensive line where they're more physical. And the secondary at USC is not playing well at all, and they gave all kinds of penalty opportunities for USC. Yet USC didn't take advantage of them with turnovers, penalties, and everything on their side. They still couldn't score points. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to an actual voicemail. Um, let me play this for you, Coach. <laughs> Hello, uh, Coach Hyde. Excuse me, my voice is a little bit messed up. Screaming at the television. Um, is Corey Foreman injured? I just watched the tape of the uh, Sun Devil game. I couldn't. I just couldn't find him. Uh, I, I noticed Maximus Gibbs is playing quite a bit, actually, and actually not playing all that badly. Uh, Considering, um, you know, he's raw, but um, he looks like he's willing to learn and willing to try. He moves his feet fast, leans forward, makes some penetration towards the enemy backfield. But uh, it's, I think it's a bad sign if you if you notice um, Gibbs more than you notice uh, numero zero, meaning Corey Foreman. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the voicemail. We also got one from a voicemail from Richard, uh, coach. Uh, same thing, talking about Corey Foreman. And uh, real quick, uh, we asked Vic Soto, the defensive line coach, after the Arizona game about that. Uh, he played a few snaps, but didn't didn't play a ton. And Vic Soto said he wasn't in pads all week in practice. And uh, I don't know how many if you know if he got the practice in pads this past week. Uh, he did play. He did play some uh, in the uh, Arizona State game, but you know, not every snap. Uh, you know, there was some rotation and stuff going on. But get your thoughts on that, coach. I, I think for the coaches, if he's not practicing in pads, they're really reluctant to play him. Um, so there's there's been some of that factor of it where he's just been banged up. It seems like a little bit all year. And if you're not practicing, they don't want to play you. Well, that's normally what you do. If a kid's hurt, he can't play. So why dress him? I dress kids that want to play football and find guys that can give me a hundred percent. And, you know, uh, two weeks ago, he was, uh, he was the captain of the towel waving team. This week, there was no towel waving going on, but they decided that the kids came to USC to play football and not be cheerleaders. Okay. So the towel waving was gone. This kid's got to become tough and grow up. I mean, he's a great player, but he's got to be put in a position where people ex let him know they expect performance out of him. Then unless he starts performing, you know, he isn't going to play. And I think one thing that discourages him, he's playing behind Drake Jackson in most cases and not all the time. So, you know, he's play, playing behind Jackson and, you know, he feels he's not going to get in the game. So I don't know what type of attitude he has there. But I would have designed a defense that had them both in the game at the same time personally. And he would have started and the only way he'd have come out is if uh, he was really hurt. Because the way you find out about how good of a football player you can be is play football, and that's the only way you get better. Now, don't get me wrong. I think this Nichols kid's been playing hard and finding the football too, but he could have spelled both guys. He could have been the spell guy, one for Foreman and one for Jackson. But keep your main guys in the football game. Same with the de defensive linemen, your secondary guys, the whole package. You know, this isn't an intramural program like I told you before. This is a, a major college football program where you get four stars and five stars that are supposed to be formed, perform, and you're supposed to make them a better football player than when they came there. 
So, you know, this is just some of the things that I see and some of the things I question as far as why would you put both of those great players at the same position? I don't know why you would. I'd want them both on the field and spell it with my best, spell them and rest them with my best next guy, my third guy. That way, every other series or whatever, they get a rest. And on big downs, I'd have them both in the game on third down situations. So I don't know. I got a different philosophy. I just think that players win games. Coaches aren't very good without great players. And I think it's great to have great players on the field. You become a better coach. Yeah, that does make you a better coach when the players play great. Um, all right, coach, let's go to a email. This is David in Berkeley. David, uh, Trojans coming your way this weekend. I uh, hope David's staying out of quarantine because they seem to like put the whole uh, city under quarantine after someone gets COVID. But um, David in Berkeley says, I was wondering where you thought this team ranked in terms of the worst USC teams of all time. I'm old enough to remember Ted Tolner and Larry Smith's three and eight 1991 season. Uh, that wasn't Ted, that was Larry Smith. It wasn't Ted Tolner, but it was Ted Tolner's at the end of Ted Tolner's players, I guess. He said, never have seen a USC team get physically dominated by four Pac-10 slash Pac-12 opponents, three at home, and lose by more than two touchdowns. Even Larry Smith's 1991 team managed to play the national championship Washington Huskies team tough at home. That team suffered two Pac-12 blowouts. This is arguably the worst USC team of the past 50 years. Uh, sincerely, David and Berkeley. And I mean, the season's not over, David, so I think we have to to wait and see, but I would say it's up there. Coach, any thoughts on that? Well, I don't like to talk about who, what's the worst football team. Petros Papadakis takes the claim that he played on the worst team. Maybe that's a good question for our man Petros, but, uh, you know, kids are trying. I don't want to ever talk about the worst team, but that includes a lot of good kids that are out there, and it's not necessarily all their fault. So I don't want to necessarily grade or, or say those type of things. But as far as the Cal game is concerned, if I was USC, maybe Cal wouldn't want to do this. I'd move the game to the Coliseum. There's nobody else playing there. If you want to have a good football game, I'd have them come down here where your players can play and you can get a good football game out of it. Or maybe the possibility of them even canceling the football game up there. So I don't know what the administration could think or if that could happen or not. But to have a good football game where players can play and people can go to the games and everything else, if their county would allow all of that, then just move the game to Southern California. I don't know. Uh, you know, if you look at a couple of years ago, New Mexico, they practiced the entire year and played their, all their home games in Las Vegas. Hawaii did the same thing. So, you know, you got to look at what is best for your program and what best takes care of your kids. And, of course, the health portion of it is the number one thing. But still, you know, you got to look at how you can have a successful program and where you can get your kids on the field. Yeah. Um, so as far as, like, uh, standings and stuff, as far you know, Petros Papadakis said he was the worst, he was the captain of the worst USC football team in history. Um, the reason he says that is because that team in 2000 uh, by, you know, Paul Hackett when he got fired, they tied for last in the conference. So they were two and six in conference. Washington State and Cal were also two and six. Um, USC had a better record than both those schools. They're five and seven. Washington State was four and seven. California was three and eight. Um, and USC started that season with three wins against non conference teams. They beat uh, number 22 Penn State in East, you know, East Rutherford, New Jersey, a giant stadium. Um, they beat Colorado in the Coliseum and they beat San Jose State. Uh, and then they just, you know, lost at Oregon State, and they just lost. They lost like five in a row at that point. The um, the three and eight team, uh, ironically, in 1991, also beat Penn State. That was like a number five Penn State team, but they lost to Memphis State, I believe. Uh, and then they finished a two and six record in conference as well. But Oregon, Oregon State were both uh, one and seven that year. So uh, Oregon State was one and ten. Oregon and USC were both three and eight. So it was a pretty bad. Uh, year in the conference I, I kind of think that team might have been worse but man beating a top five team in Penn State was just kind of uh crazy but this is uh the 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 way that USC's been blown out coach if it finishes the season four and eight I would say this is up there as far as worst teams in 
in uh, USC history. I don't know. But you don't like to talk about that stuff. But No, I don't like to talk negative about kids. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, David, in Berkeley. Um, yeah, we don't know as far as Cal. From what the reports I've read, Coach, it seems like they'll be out of the quarantine. And if you don't know, like John Wilner has been reporting on this, and we've seen other people, some reporters from the Bay Area. Essentially, what the city of Berkeley has done is they haven't updated their um, protocols since 2020. So they didn't change things once the vaccine came out. A lot of people, okay, now you're vaccinated. There's, it's a different kind of protocol. Like you see in the NFL, if you're vaccinated and you test positive, it could be a false positive. And if you're vaccinated, they come back, you know, you can test out of it and stuff. Berkeley, you still can't test out of anything, vaccinated or not. So they've kept their protocols the same for some reason. I'm not sure why. But that's really roped in over two dozen players and coaches from Berkeley that wouldn't be able to make the trip, including Chase Garbers, the starting quarterback. So Cal looked terrible um, at Arizona. Arizona got their first win in over two years. Uh, they had a 20-game losing streak. So uh, the COVID protocol certainly contributed there. I feel like the players will be back for this game. Now, there could be other contact tracing and stuff going on. So there might be other players that are out. Um, they might not be able to practice all this week, though. So we'll try to get reports later in the week when we figure that out. Just so people know, that's USC's next opponent. And I feel like the players will be back, but maybe they won't be able to have full practices in. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Coach? Or let me just go on. No, no, not many thoughts. I just want to ask you a question. You sure. normally ask me, what have you heard about Brew McCoy and uh, Keaton Ch- Christian? Oh, yeah. So uh, every time we ask for an update, so uh, Keaton Christian – um, you know, it was a, a, you know, off field sort of incident and the same thing, obviously with Brew McCoy being arrested. Uh, yeah, no updates there. They haven't given us anything. We haven't heard. I mean, when we heard the beginning, it just like when a player goes into that kind of mode, uh, it's almost impossible for them to come back at least the way it is around USC right now. So I, both, I would think coach would be, if there's something's going to happen, it would be with the new coach in the off season. I don't think you're going to see anything updated. Uh, Are they in school? Both in school? I don't know about Kristen. Uh, Brew McCoy was the last I heard. He was back in school. Uh, All right, man. When something happens to a player like like that, like Paul Brewmeister, was that the kick pl- uh, place kicker where you know he just disappeared? You never heard about him. These guys disappear. They're probably at Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Where, where USC puts them, but man, I tell you what, I'd certainly support these kids. I mean, kids make mistakes and so on, but that they, you never hear about them again. They just more or less just disappear, you know, this fade into the sunlight. Yeah. Matt Bormeister was the, uh, the kicker, the, the savior of the what Rose was his Bowl. Name? What was his name? Matt Bormeister. Yeah. 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 Remember that he just disappeared. He was the savior of the Rose Bowl. That last time, yeah. that's the last yeah. time USC won a bowl game coach 2016 yeah. season. So, you know, making a bowl and winning one would be a big deal because they haven't done, you know, haven't won a bowl game since the 2016 season, you know, the 2017 Rose Bowl. Well, I don't know if they'd win one this year. Yeah, but, uh, fair. But but the point of it is, you know, I gave my reasons about the bowl game yeah. earlier, you know. We got a text from Jarrett in uh, San Clemente, and he said, hey, team, in respects to staying competitive, at four and five, should developmental play – uh, be a bigger factor in deciding playing time roster wide. Obviously, Jackson Dart inspires the question, but if we're going to be a bad defense, at least blame it on freshman mistakes. Um, we have seen the entire like safety group, young, old, whatever, uh, been rotating in. Isaiah Polamal, the team captain, didn't even start in this game, but they all played. They all played a bunch of snaps. Um, you saw guys like Xavier Alford uh, get a couple of picks in the game. I think there's some spots, Coach, where they are rotating guys. But what are your thoughts on development instead of, I guess, trying to win or trying to play your best guys? Well, if I was coming back and I was a football coach and I'm going to come back, then I want to develop my players, of course. But, you know, being that this staff isn't coming back, I think it's more important to them to try to win. But I have seen that happen as far as them playing more younger kids, uh, especially in the secondary, as you mentioned. And, you know, Malapai, the captain on the offensive side of the football, has been limited. And I don't see where he's that much different than anybody else. Now, don't get me wrong, not that Ingram had had a couple of games, good games. But, you know, he's a leader and he's paid his dues at USC. So, you know, that's got to be worth something in the cookie jar. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you owe loyalty to your players. And, 
I think if it's equal, you know, I think that if they're returning players and the other kids are freshmen and so on, uh, I would probably play the older players with this type of season. But again, you know, if you're a coach, see, probably Coach Dante Williams feels he's going to be back, so he wants to give a lot of his, and I assume he will be, don't get me wrong, uh, will want to get a lot of his younger players' experience. And I think that's what they're doing as far as the secondary part of it. They don't have it in the other positions as far as getting a lot of uh, freshman players in. No, and then, you know, we've seen some injuries on the offensive line. We're not seeing much rotation there. They had like seven guys they liked, and they're pretty much playing those guys. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what, what they uh, need to do. What they need to do this year, Ryan, is recruit more receivers. Because I, I think they, they don't have enough receivers that they don't know who to play. They've got so many receivers, and they've got other great receivers like John Jackson and the other Jackson kid and all these kids. Uh, what if McCoy was still on the team and still out there? And they got so many receivers and tight ends that they're not balanced out on their other positions as far as scholarships. Yeah, and they, they haven't been able to really figure out what's going on at the receiver no, position. No, they take Nixon. And they give him a $70,000 scholarship and he catches three punts a game. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, I thought he could have a bigger impact for sure. And we're not seeing well, – Yeah, you got to learn how to evaluate players. Yeah. Uh, and see what you have rather than bring in a senior when you have younger players that are just as good. Yep. I, I hear I mean, I don't mean to throw this stuff out. Nothing gets a kid, but I don't think it's right for the kid either because he took the scholarship and he was smart to get it. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are the type of things that are happening that I say, what the hell is going on? Yeah, if he stayed at Colorado, he would have been more involved in the offense. Than sure he would have. Here. Yeah. So you feel bad for him, too, because it's just not. Yeah. Uh, Mark in the Inland Empire wrote in. He said, Coach, I need help here. Uh, if and I say if they get the right guy for the job, do you think he can win with the roster right away? Or do you think that three or four years down the road is the ticket? I actually thought all the way up to the third quarter that they could actually have won this game. I, I was with you there, Mark. Uh, if it weren't really for that untimely penalty, which gave them first down and they had scored right away, the other two, the two-party quarterback disaster didn't help. also agree with you there. So I don't think that a good coach with discipline and being able to coach these guys could win right away. I hope to hear your thoughts, Coach. We are still USC. Mark from the IE. Well, I think you'd have to have some great recruiting years and uh, you'd have to have be able to have uh, some get some key players. In key areas, I think both the quarterbacks, as far as they can win with a decent, they can be a Matt Leinart type of offense that they had with Pete Carroll, where they had Lendell White and Reggie Bush and these type of great backs. You can line up, and uh, first of all, you'd have to go out and get yourself a running backs. I mean, some guys that can run the football, uh, guys that are, you know, the Heisman Trophy caliber type of running backs that pound you to death, that don't want to come out of the game, that never get hurt, that play hurt and carry the ball 28 times a game. Look at old kid of Michigan State or these other kids. I don't have to tell you who they are. you got to get that type of guy, and be, don't be afraid to run the toss, the sweep, and run to the outside and, and be able to have the one-two punch with the big back and run two backs at times. You run two backs with Lindell and Reggie. That quarterback situation with the quarterbacks they have right now could run that offense easily, just easily. they got great receivers. And what you need to do is get your offensive line tougher up, maybe have them eat a lot of nails during the summertime and put them in the training table with tacks and nails and eat those type of things so that <laughs> like they can get a little bit tougher and forget the ice cream and all of that and become men and get off the line of scrimmage and blow somebody off and hit somebody in the mouth. And with this type of philosophy, and uh, if you can do that with the right offensive line coach and the right head coach with the right plays, uh, you know, and beef up the defense where you could stop somebody. But again, if you control the football on the offensive side of the ball, that's the best defense you can have. So I think a guy can turn it around because I think right now the Pac-12 is sort of wishy-washy. Who's great in the Pac-12 right now? Oregon's winning, but they're not blowing out anybody. I mean, Stanford, they're not very good. Cal's not very good. Washington State, heck, they have a power, this power of the league, Washington State. Five and four, so you know, you know, Oregon State—they've been getting beat. Colorado, they're nobody to to fear. Arizona's nobody to fear. Arizona State got it going on a little bit, uh, but uh, we, you know, you can play with them, 
And, uh, you know, yeah, I think a guy can get it going because you get the right coach there, you can get the right players there. And you can put the right players in the right position there with the right type of philosophy there, and you might have a chance. Yeah. No, I, I agree with the coach. I think you can turn this around quicker than people think. Some people are just kind of being pessimistic for good reason. They're just like, oh, this team's so terrible, it's going to take a, a miracle to turn it around. I, that's what's good about this program is uh, there's still talent there. You A new coach comes in changes everything, changes the culture, changes the philosophy, changes it all, brings in a winning attitude and culture and all of that, brings in players from the transfer portal most likely. Uh, if you get them early enough, brings in some better players from the recruiting class. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, wait, this team can win? The Pac-12 is a mess. Like You don't have to be great to win the Pac-12. That's why you can turn this around quickly. You just have to be competent. USC's in we saw on Saturday night, coach, two really incompetent teams that were performing way below the level of talent on each roster. And that's uh yeah, that's why I'm a little more optimistic that they can turn this around quicker. A good a great coach can come in there and do that. Oh yeah. I think it can. I tell you that's why USC's a great job. Yeah, USC is a great job. That's why I'm saying whoever's hired better be the right coach and this uh Regents and trustees and the college president and all the administrators who make this decision have got to decide what it was like and what the people are looking forward to. Okay, we got a few and more. We'll try to knock through these quick. Uh, Ray in Pasadena says, uh, I'm not sure I should write to you people. <laughs> I should let a couple of days go by to cool down. And then he goes into all caps. and He says, please tell Mike Bone to forfeit the remaining games. This is a disgrace. I know we have commitments and the players need the reps. Uh, but why practice? It doesn't look like it's making a difference. You people keep rehashing the same old crap. Coach Hyde has asked the same stupid questions every week. There's there's nothing new. A second-rate staff producing a second-rate team. I don't hear about the players having a team meeting, so I'll assume many of them will not be there next year. I'll stop before I start cursing and take a walk around the block. Ray in Pasadena. Ray, sorry, man. Well, Ray, you got you to gotta vent somewhere, so... You can vent right here. Get it out so uh, you can uh, feel better about yourself, okay? I want to. I'm going to ask guys this week, Coach, if they would do a players-only meeting at some point. Um, I haven't heard about that. Maybe, you know, maybe they did one and they just haven't told anyone. But um, usually, we hear about those things if they happen because someone's going to talk. Because the players, you know, it's not. It's hard to keep everyone quiet. Uh, do you think those help at all? In certain situations, they do. They do when they need to happen. Uh, you know, if these, if you think it's, you know, worthwhile. Uh, you know, these kids have been yelled at and told everything so many different times. I, I don't know. You've got too many different groups of people on USC's football team right now, who they look towards as far as the leaders. The, the captains don't play. Uh, it's tough when the captains aren't playing. You know. Yeah, and and you got you got uh, half the team from Texas. Uh, you know, you you just you're just not you're not a team that started as freshmen that are going through with the tradition of what USC is and knows what it's all about. The kids from Texas, they don't know much about USC. They were recruited, maybe, but they don't know about what it is or what it's about. I mean, why would they have left Texas? Think about it for a minute. Why would you leave Texas, one of the top football programs in the country? Why? Because they couldn't play there. Wasn't good enough to play there. I didn't like Steve Sarkeesian. He makes it too tough on us. Or why do great players leave programs? Why? Now, I can see him from 1AA move up to have the opportunity. But why do people – why would SC take players from other people that 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 are not trying to get rid of people but – why do you take people that can't play somewhere else, like the great kid, the poor kid that's from Alabama with that knee? I mean, why would you inherit an Alabama problem? Gives him another scholarship at Alabama. I mean, great kid. I want to wish him the best. I hope he comes back and beats everybody, and then you know what? But that's sad. Why would you do those things? Why don't you do your homework? I mean, it deals with the type of things that just fluster you when you consider – USC is not a portal program. USC is a team that gets the best in high school, and they can stay there four years or three years and go to the pros. It's not where you have to have immediate help because you don't have any players. How has it got to this? That's the main question. How has it got to this, and how they allowed it to get to this? Yeah. 
it's uh it's where we are uh, college football there's a lot of transfers going on but there's always a risk um when you do that because there's a reason players leave sometimes it's coaches sometimes players sometimes combination um we got alex wrote in coach hiring a new hungry energetic coach on the rise like a dave aranda of baylor or a seasoned established coach like james franklin how could USC avoid the situation like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan or, or Chip Kelly of UCLA? Fight on from Alex. Well, I, I don't know how you avoid it. You, you know, you go out and you try to find the best person and you go out and you, you, you hope that person understands the great potential at USC and, and that uh, you can win a national championship at USC quicker than you can win a national championship of where you are. And I think that's the main selling point as far as USC, as far as the location of USC, the tradition of USC, the national uh, recognition of USC, the number of players. They've had more players, I think, in the pros than anybody else. They've had 83 first-round draft choices uh, in the NFL. I mean, these things, the Heisman Trophy winners, these things speak for themselves. And you've got to be able to bring that back. You don't take the Heisman Trophies on a golf cart on the practice field. And I don't know how many people have seen these, but these things I've seen, I say, hey, these things are should be in the Huntington Library or the Huntington Museum. These are these are things that people played hard to win and uh, to to get national recognition for. And I don't know if you've seen that, but you know you've seen that type of demonstration with the Heisman Trophy and other things. What's going on? I mean, the 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 the, the part of the whole thing, the alumni of the football players, the uh, the, the whole thing of unifying needs to be done, a complete unification of the alumni, the Alumni Football Association, the Trojan Clubs. The whole thing has got to be overhauled. And it's not just the head football coach's job. It's the university's job to bring back all of that and be the best in everything so that people are jealous of USC and people hate USC. And as Mike Garrett said it best, they're all sick because they're jealous because they can't be a Trojan. Yeah, that's what it's got to be. And what happened to that? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what that. That's uh, that didn't go over very well. I think because of the the sanctions following that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's because they brought a lot of people in there's leadership that weren't willing to fight for the Trojan image. Yeah. Uh, all right. We got a couple more. Um, this is a little long from Earl and Torrance. It says, guys, how much money did USC save by firing Helton in September instead of last December after that embarrassing loss to Oregon? I haven't been back since the San Jose state game. I keep selling my season tickets and watch the embarrassment on television. The season was not even half over when we were beaten at home by Oregon state for the first time in 61 freaking years and lost at home by more than 40 points twice. And we barely beat Arizona at home on homecoming. Even worse, far too many people were there at homecoming to give Dr. Bartner, far too few people were there to give uh, Dr. Bartner a send-off he deserved for homecoming. Mike Bone brought all these assistant coaches only to now pay them off at the end of the season and potentially replace them with higher-priced assistants and higher-priced head coach. If Helton had been fired in December, attendance today would be far greater if they started the season with a new head coach, the scattered crowd, empty seat Coliseum is not a good look for USC. Also, many fans wanted Helton gone long before this administration finally terminated him, which may have created a certain euphoria that the USC football nightmare was over. But to be fair, it did feel like a weight had been lifted from our collective shoulders. However, in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast. The stench of Clay Helton is going to linger for a while, and all we can do is grin and bear it while waiting for this nightmare season to end. Mike Bone, if you're listening... I'm becoming a Chargers fan, Earl and Torrance. Well, you know, uh, how many of you were at homecoming or how many of you did actually see the halftime show at the Coliseum? Well, that's what USC football is about. That's what the USC uh, halftime show is all about. That's what it is. It's not rock and roll music, okay? Or he bop or point to the screen and see players doing different things. It's the tradition of Troy to have the best band, like they all wear sunglasses, because that's tradition of Troy. It's all of that type of stuff that the people are so proud of that need to be there. Those type of halftime, not just a salute to Art Barber, but a salute to Troy. The things they used to have the event, salute to Troy. Ryan, you've been there. You've been at that event. 
and what it means to the alumni to be there and honor a team and have each coach talk and so on. The great events they've had, the recruiting night banquets, uh, you've been there, I've been there. All of these traditional things have got to be reestablished and reestablished in a way where people want to be at them, where you can't get a ticket. Dan Angeloff uh, put that together, the banquet for the recruiting banquet. Hey, you couldn't get a ticket to that. Normally, you had to be a guest of somebody who bought a table. This is what popped the popularity of Trojan football and Trojan athletics is all about. You used to be able to send out a, a letter saying, we need this. And within 15 minutes, you got that. Right now, everyone hesitates as far as, now I'm going to wait and see what's happening or never again. That's exactly right. That's the answers you hear. Because people are getting a little bit fed up on everything yeah. at, at USC. It's not just football, it's everything. So unless you put a stop to a lot of these things in a hurry, uh, you're going you're gonna to lose a lot of people. But the new people, the new students coming in, have never seen it. They don't understand what it's all about. The tradition, the tailgating, the, the halftime shows, all of the things that were big time, man, big time. And that's why people are upset. Yeah, they uh, they definitely they definitely are upset, and uh, the passion is there, which is good for the athletic department because you know people still care, um, and that's uh, that's important. If you can bring back some, a winner, people will be ready there uh, for it. One last one, David wrote in. Love the weekly podcast you do with Coach. Keep up the good work. Thank you and your team for keeping many of us USC fans on the latest on the football program. My question regarding the coaching search: Do you know if Mike Bone is considering Matt Rule? As a potential candidate, I think uh, this would be a great hire. He's proven to develop players and creating a winning culture, something USC has been lacking. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Fight On, David. Um, what do you think about Matt Rule, Coach? Matt Rule was a great coach, did a great job. Would he consider him? I don't know. I really don't know who he's considering because I don't discuss it with him, and I don't know him personally. So I don't know what he thinks is a threat to the athletic department or who's bringing baggage to the athletic department or I don't know what his philosophy of hiring is or what the university's philosophy has been as far as telling them who to hire. So it's absolutely a mystery to me on who they might hire because they haven't definitely said, I've never heard of somebody say yet, football is important here. We want to play for national championships here. We're going to have that happen and we're going to go hold that. We're not going to hold back on who we go after. We're going to get whoever we want. Now, that would sound pretty good, wouldn't it? But I don't hear any of that talk. I don't hear any of that type of talk. So unless I start hearing that type of talk, I have a question mark of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Matt Roll, by the way, the uh, Carolina Panthers head coach, did a great job. It was nice that he was a good co- – I, I like him because he's a good college coach, but it's tough. When you become an NFL head coach – you know, that's the pinnacle of the sport, right? For a lot of people. Now you get a Nick Saban who's amazing in college and it's just more of a fit for him. Um, you know, we'll see rule seems like he's enjoying the NFL. Would he want to come back to college? You know, if he, that would be one of the things that would be coach. If he just wanted to come back to college, then USC would be a great fit, but it's going to be more about what does Matt rule want than, than USC. Now, obviously USC would need to want him to bring him back, but the the barrier there would be more about you're trying to get an NFL head coach. Does he is he someone that just happens to want to go back to college? You know, like if Mike Tomlin, very clear, he doesn't want to go to co- coach college. They're like, no, he's he's not doing that. I don't care if it's Alabama, USC, whatever. He doesn't give a crap. Um, rule, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's what he would want to do. But you'd have to find the right head coach. If he's having success, then he would want to go back to college. If it's a head coach in the NFL that's not having success and he has to find something else anyway, then he might consider it. But uh, for Rule, you would have to uh, he would he would have to want to just come back to college. My opinion. Well, yeah, well, I know exactly. You know, Pete Carroll was uh, in the NFL, but Pete Carroll's a West Coast guy. Pete Carroll had a tremendous uh, personality, good-looking guy. All the mothers wanted to meet him, and. Uh, he got in every house because, first of all, it was Pete Carroll, and it was USC. And the first thing Pete Carroll did, he came from the NFL, is he brought himself coaches that knew Southern California that were great coaches, kids that knew the city, Dwayne Walker, 
from John Muir High School, coached secondary. Kirby Wilson coached the running backs from uh, where, where was Kirby was from Dorsey High School. Tom Davis, Ed Ordron. I mean, he brought in people that were great coaches that knew what was going on in Southern California, and they introduced him to Southern California. I remember when he got here. I'm a member of the Optimus Club in Pasadena. I called Kirby and Dwayne up. I said, bring him over. Bring him over. We want to introduce him because in this club are all the Tournament of Roses people and and so on. So bring him over. Hey, within two weeks, he came over with both of them. They introduced him to everybody. He spoke. He didn't mind doing it. The Passing the Quarterback Club, he came there every year, spoke to him. By the way, the Passing the Quarterback Club, we're having that. November the 19th at the University Club in Pasadena. Go to PasadenaQuarterbacks.org, and we're going to do SCUCLA Day. So please come on over there. I'll be emceeing that event. Uh, 175, I think it's North, North Oakland in Pasadena, California. You can look that up. So he was everywhere, and he wasn't afraid to go everywhere, and he had people take him everywhere, and he loved to recruit. A lot of head coaches don't like to recruit. You got to learn to recruit. You got to love to recruit. You loved. Uh, I remember on the way home that uh, Pete Carroll used to stop in the South Central and go in, go in liquor stores and and talk to the kids and talk to people there and and uh, you know buy himself a coke after the game and and be everywhere. This is what you got to do as a head football coach. Be everywhere. Go out to dinner. Sign autographs. Kiss babies. I mean, this is what you need at USC. This is what you need when you have such a great school to sell. A lot of coaches don't have that type of school to sell. But at USC, you have something to sell. And uh, I think that's what they got to look for because that's what it takes to win. A guy that's smart, good-looking, is aggressive, and hires a great staff. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Uh, another hour in the books and uh hopefully we can talk about some more fun stuff next week we'll see maybe new head coach i mean a win uh over cal usc's actually a one and a half point favorite on the road against cal so that that line could move depending on what cal player situation is but uh yeah maybe next week how would week. you bet that game brad me mm-hmm. uh depend if cal gets all their players back i got burned this week coach i was the only one on our staff to pick usc to cover the spread and they were covering it the majority of the game, and then Arizona State scored that last touchdown, and uh, I lost that one. Um, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably take Cal getting a point and a half on the road. I mean, at home, as long as like Garbers and most of the players play. If they like don't practice all week and they're like questionable to play, then I'd, I'd probably take USC. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't. It's it's hard to see. the way USC's playing right now. Like you could argue that was the worst game of the season, even though the result wasn't worse than some of the other ones. Um, I mean, they just look terrible. I, I, it's hard to pick them at anything. And this is, this is a game you absolutely have to have if you want to be bowl eligible. And, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take USC in this game. Okay. Because if they can't beat this team, they better stay away from St. John Bosco. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you, if, if I'm point and a half against a team that might not even practice, and everything else, if you can't go up there, nothing against Cal. They've just got a lot of problems up there, okay, Curly, as far as COVID and everything else. You've got to be able to go up there and say, my X is bigger than your O, and we're going to run one play or two plays, and if we can't beat you, we don't deserve to. Yeah. And I'd make the team walk home. And the problem is, Coach, USC... And the coaches, too, and make them crawl home. Yeah, I mean, if you remember this past weekend, it's not like Arizona State was good. They... They got outscored fifty-six to nothing in the period of the last two games. Um, I know they I know. they were circling the drain like USC and like you mentioned in the fourth quarter they got it right and uh, and and beat USC. So th- yeah, like I said earlier, Ryan, at the start of the game, neither team wanted to win. I saw that neither team wanted to win. Yeah, no, they're just going through the emotions and this and that, and then all of a sudden one team said, "Hey, this is more fun." Yeah, this is a lot more fun, but- and White went on. Went over 200 yards, and yes, he couldn't get 100 yards rushing. No, and they, so, uh, you know, I mean, you but know. this this game is very important because you know UCLA, BYU. I mean, BYU hasn't lost in the Pac-12 yet. Um, you want to get bowl eligible, you got to beat Colorado because I don't think you're going to sweep UCLA and BYU. I mean, you got to beat uh, California. I don't think you know 
sweeping UCLA and BYU would be a really tough task. Although you don't, why, you don't think they should Ryan, make a bowl anyway. But you know, why would you want to go to a bowl game? Yeah. Give me one reason. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think just the swag bag for the players. It's, I think it's an opportunity for them for the players. It hurts the program to go to a bowl game. Yeah, if the program. Pro, yeah, if the program. You sort of just want to like end the season and move on. Uh, it extends it. Um, but well, how does it help you to go to a bowl game and play a team in a in a minor bowl game? It's going to be a minor bowl game, and maybe get beat by a team that you shouldn't be getting beat by. Yeah, I mean, how's that help your program? I think the Los Grand Angeles, if, if they could go to the Los Angeles Bowl for the inaugural one, oh, that'd be cool. SoFi, yeah. I mean, I personally, I'd like to go. I've never been to SoFi Stadium. It'd be cool to go check that out. Um, but you know, the, the fact that they haven't won a bowl game since twenty six, the twenty sixteen season, you you'd like these players to gra- you know, that are going to graduate or move on to have a bowl win on their their resume, and they don't right now. So that that what? might be why it's important. Well, if they go to the SoFi Bowl, they're going to play the champion of the Mountain West Conference, okay? Yeah, probably so, yeah. so I don't know if that'd be good or bad. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, as for the image of the program, you know what I'm talking about. I, That's a December December 18th game, I think. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. It doesn't look like it's going to be <laughs> on the cards. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how they play this weekend I, against Cal. And I'm for them winning all three games. Don't get me wrong. That's why I said that they they got to be Cal. Yeah. Okay. Got to start but, with that one. But, yeah, but I'm just saying they their their program needs a new face as soon as it can. Yeah. And I'm saying it's time to make a change. Make that change immediately. You know, the things that aren't good of you change and move on, and you get excited about what's gonna happen. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. Uh, great talking to you. And like I said, hopefully you have some better things to talk about next week. But follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Thank you, buddy. And uh, we will talk to you guys all next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by USCFootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 